following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. I am glad you're here. I hope you're having a great morning. Um, if you're new to us or a guest with us, I'm, I'm grateful you're here. We, um, here at Stone Oak, we approach preaching in a bit of a simple and straightforward way. We, we take books of the Bible and um, we walk through them. We work through them together. We often, we, we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, or narrative by narrative. It's kind of the way we approach this. And, and sometimes we're going to take on bigger chunks and other times smaller chunks, depending on what uh, scripture we are, we are looking at. Um, but whatever the case is, we believe it's important to, to teach scripture because we believe God has spoken through his word, has given his word to us. And by the way, you shouldn't be here to hear from any hear from a, a, a guy. You shouldn't. Uh, you shouldn't. We gather around God's word, believing that it is him who speaks, and that's why we, we gather. And we also believe that approaching scripture like this gives us a bit of a balanced diet. And, and when I say that, I mean we're going to engage with all types of things. Uh, we are going to engage with them as they arise in scripture, and I love that. I, I love that. It, it, and not only that, uh, there's a beauty in not skipping things. Not skipping over things. In other words, we believe that all of this is inspired by God, profitable for teaching, correction, reproof. We believe that. We hold, we hold to that. And, and if we choose to skip over it, we believe that it does something weird to a church. It causes us all to think we skip over these things. So we teach them as they come, as the texts arrive. And now, the reason I'm saying all this is there's a good chance this morning, church, uh, there's a distinct possibility that Stone Oak Bible Church uh, may be the only church across the globe who is preaching Genesis 34 this morning. Just think about that. There is a good chance. I, I mean that. I thought about this. There's a good chance that this might be the only church who is preaching Genesis 34. Maybe we're not. I know I have grown up in the church, and in my years, I have never heard this text preached. Never. Um, and I will say this one more thing before I pray and we'll dive in. Um, I'm a little bit geeking out this morning because I, I am really excited for this morning. So not only are we preaching a, a hard one, I'm really excited to preach this hard one, so buckle up. This is going to be a fun one. I want us to start, though, and I want us to come to the Lord in prayer, ask that he would speak, that he would move, that he would open our eyes, and that we would come to him in humility this morning. So having said that, uh, let's pray. Lord, you are good. Your word is good. We are grateful that we get the great privilege of coming around your word this morning. I pray that you would speak through your word as you promised to do. I pray that you would open our eyes to your truth. And Lord, I, I just, I pray that you would change us and convict us. You are good, you are God, and we are yours. 
and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, church, if you have your Bibles, grab them as you guessed. We are going to be in Genesis 34. While you're getting there, I want to start us off with a question. This will be kind of our question of the morning. All right, this is our question of the morning. And, and listen, as I ask this, you don't need to answer it out loud. In fact, don't. Um, you don't even need to answer this with like a show of hands. You don't even need to give me like the pastor nod. The, you don't even need to do that, all right? You don't need to respond to this visibly or audibly. But as I ask this, I want you to answer it. Right where you are, right in your chair, I want us all to answer this question, and it's this. Do you see yourself as a disciple maker? Do you see yourself right now in your chair? Do you see yourself as a disciple maker? Do you consider yourself to be someone who makes disciples? Is that the way you see yourself? Now, if you've been raised in church, chances are you think of like Jesus saying, go therefore, make disciples, and you think, well, obviously my answer has to be yes to this question. It's just Jesus said so, right? Um, just because Jesus sees you as a disciple maker does not necessarily mean you believe it. And it does not necessarily mean that you see yourself as a disciple maker. So do you see yourself as a disciple maker? With that question pinging in our minds, let's look at our text. And let me set the stage for us a little bit. We have a fun one. Um, back in 29 and 30 of Genesis, we dropped in in this weird scene where there was a bit of a contest, competition going off, going on to see who could birth more children. If you remember this, this text, you have uh, babies just being born like crazy. Leah had Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, then Bilhah, that's Rachel's servant. These are all wives of Jacob, if you remember this. She, you know, has Dan and Naphtali. And then not to let them have the last word, we have Leah who grabs her servant Zilpah, who has Gad and Asher. There's just competition, right? And then it's just the makings, by the way, of just a big, happy, dysfunctional family right here. Um, then Leah has more, Issachar and Zebulon. And then lastly, Rachel has a baby boy of her own named Joseph. Um, all throughout this, this birthing contest. Notice one thing, though. There's one baby I did not mention. In this birthing contest, there's only one girl who is listed in this. In this. And, and you see it in verse 21 of chapter 30. Afterward, meaning after Zebulon was born, she, that is Leah, bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. Now, Dinah, we're not going to hear from her again until we get to our text in Genesis 34, the text that we're looking at this morning. So let's pick it up. Now, Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had born to Jacob, went out, our text says, to see the women of the land. 
Um, so for some context here, this land was the same land that Jacob had just set up an altar in. And if you, if you think back at, at verse 18 of 33, Jacob came safely to this city. He, he camped there. And he even, in verse 19, it says, from the sons of Hamar, Shechem's father. We're going to hear about those guys a bit here in a, more this morning. He buys this piece of land. And, and in verse 20, he, he puts up an altar. And he names it El Elohe Israel. It's just this wonderful moment, worshipful moment. Jacob makes this altar. Right out of this moment of worship, right out of this, Jacob, his daughter, uh, or Dinah, Jacob's daughter, journeys out. Now, maybe she was bored, lonely, whatever it was, she sets out, and as our text says, to see the women of the land. And in doing this, the unthinkable happens. Tragedy, disaster happens. She was taken, captured, and assaulted. We can read the details of that in verse 2. But her capture, her captor, was none other than Shechem, the son of Hamor, who was the royal prince of this city, this land. And as we're able to read here, after this happens, he falls for her. He falls for this girl. Uh, in verse 3, we read his soul was drawn to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. He loved the young woman, and he spoke tenderly to her. And here's what he does. He says, you know, Dad, verse 4, get me this girl for my wife. He's wooed by her. This scene, this tragedy, makes the backdrop of our, of our story uh, this morning. So before we get into this deeper, I want to remind you of the question I asked at the beginning. Do you see yourself as a disciple maker? And let me push it a little further. Do you think Jacob saw himself as a disciple maker? You have to wonder. Verse 5. Jacob hears of what just happened. Disaster. Just hears it. Verse 6. Um, and Hamar, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with him. And the sons of Jacob came in from the field, and they were furious. Um, the text says they were indignant and very angry because he had done this outrageous thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter. For such a thing must not be done. They were furious. They were angry. They felt violated, they felt betrayed, they felt hurt, their heart broke for their sister, and they were furious. Who would do such a thing? And it is now that Hamar, the, the dad, reveals the, the plan of the young prince, all right? He says, uh, the soul of my son you love the love language here. Uh, Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give him to her to be his wife. Make marriages with us. Give your daughters to us. Take our daughters for yourself. You shall dwell with us. And the land shall be open to you. Dwell in it. Trade in it. Right? It's just like kumbaya, right? We can come together. Our people will be great. Here's the plan. Benefit us both. That's the plan. To make his case stronger than the prince, I, I imagine him hearing his dad talking, and he goes, no, 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 let me, let me. He comes in making a personal appeal in verse 11. Let me find favor in your eyes, which is a huge thing to say for someone who just did what he did. 
What a request. But he pleads and he says, whatever you say to me, I'll give it. Ask a huge bride price and I will give it to you. Whatever you say to me, only give me the young woman to be my wife. It's kind of this twisted, weird version of young love that we have on display here. Um, But our text tells us he was drawn to her, he loved her, and he was willing to do anything to marry this girl. And that fact was about to be exploited. Our text now shifts to the brothers, Dinah's brothers, Jacob's sons. Verse 13, the sons of Jacob answered Shechem and his father, but they didn't just answer him. Notice what the text says. They answered them deceitfully. There was a plan brewing. Because he had defiled their sister. He deserved it. And here's their plan. They said to them, we can't do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised. For that would be a disgrace to us. Only on this condition will we agree with you. You said, remember, you'll do anything? Let's see if you meant it. Here it is. That you will become as we are. Let me clarify that. By every male among you being circumcised. Right now. Then if you do this this thing, this, this little thing, then we will give our daughters to you, take your daughters for ourselves. We're going to become one people. We're going to dwell with you. And if you don't listen to us, and you, you don't become circumcised, then, verse 17 says, we'll take our daughter and we're going to be out of here. We're going to be gone. Now, just for a moment, let's take in the craziness of this request. Um, this is insane. This is just insane. But you'll do crazy things for love. Crazy things. Because in verse 18, their words somehow, someway pleased Hamar and Hamar's son Shechem, And the young man, he did not delay because he delighted. He delighted in Dinah. Uh, But here's the deal. It was more than just the prince. See, the deal was not just for the prince to do this, but it was, hey, guys, they needed to go sell this now to the people. How would you like to live in that city? You want me to do what? Right? I, I think about, I know politics are heated right now. And whatever you talk about, someone hates you, everyone hates everyone else, everyone's hostile. Politics are not fun right now. But you have to admit it could be worse. The leaders of our government could come to our city gate and uh, give us weird demands like this, right? Could be worse. This is crazy, but in verse 20, let's read it. Here we go. So they they go to the, the gate in verse 20. That's the place of business and announcements. And uh, they say, these men are at peace with us. Let them dwell in the land and trade in it. Um, For behold, the land is large enough for them. Let us take their wives and give them our daughters. So you start with the good news. He knows what he's doing. You start with the good news. Like merging of people is great. It's great. And then he goes into the not so good news in verse 22. Only on this, this condition will the men agree to dwell with us to become one people. And that is... When every male among us is circumcised as they are circumcised. I'm just imagining that you could hear crickets, a pin drop, or just outright anger. I don't know. I would, I would expect crickets. Like, what did they just, 
what? Um, so if you notice in your text, he knows what he's doing. He shifts back to the positive, verse 23. Will not their livestock and their property and all their beasts be ours? It's almost like, forget what I just said, move on, move on. This is all gonna be ours. Only let us agree with them and they will dwell with us. And it worked. So these, these men um, listened and every one of them was circumcised. Every one of them, verse 24 says. And um, as we will read, the trap had been set. And it had worked. So it's a good time for us to pause again and let me ask you the question, do you see yourself as a disciple maker? As you and I consider Genesis, let's think of Jacob. Do you think Jacob saw himself as a disciple maker? Verse 25. On the third day when they were sore, here comes the trap. Two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, took their swords and came against the city when it felt secure and killed all the males. They killed Hamor, his son, with the sword took Dinah out of Shechem's house and went away. The sons of Jacob came upon the slain and they plundered because that they had defiled their sister. They took with their flock, they took their, their flocks, their herds, their donkeys, whatever was in the city, whatever was in the field, all their wealth, all their little ones, all their wives, and all that was in their houses, they captured and they plundered. Let's pause here because this is disgusting. This is, this is the people of God who used circumcision, which should have been the covenant sign of the people of God, as a way to deceive, trick, and slaughter a people. This was the people of God doing this. This is the people who just set up that altar up there on the hill that says, El Elohe Israel. Now they're coming down here to slaughter us. This was the people of God. They do something like this is murder, plundering. These were the these were human beings. <laughs> these were people that were treated like this by the people of God because of anger and revenge. This is deception. This is trickery. And the truth is is that the apples don't fall far from the tree. I'll ask the second part of the question again. Do you think Jacob saw himself as a disciple maker? Because, church, whether he saw it or not, he was. Where would Simeon and Levi had seen this crazy behavior, this deception, an underhanded move like this? Where do you think they, they learned this? Well, they probably saw dad do it. Jacob, church, was known for his trickery. He was known for his deception, whether it be birthright or blessing, whatever it was. This was his life. He lived this tough life of trickery. He was known for this, and he was making disciples. He may not have seen himself as a disciple maker, but he was making them. And church, do you see yourself as a disciple maker this morning? Because whether you see it or not, you're making disciples. Now, this text is a cautionary tale. It shows us 
the negative and the unintentional discipleship, what it could look like. It, it's the idea that more is caught than taught, right? We see in this story the negative playing out, when you see a negative characteristic passed on and, and, and reproduced. But this morning, we need to expand this out a little bit because that is true, this is true for discipleship, period. And in the context of this scripture, we see this playing out specifically in the home with kids and parents, which is really important because parenting is just another word for disciple-making. But it's not only true for parents because your life has influence among others. And again, I think it's really healthy and important for us to expand this out a bit. And I want to talk a little bit about this this morning. Um, I want us to think about discipleship and what, I want us to think about what it would look like for us, and, and I want us to kind of walk through a couple really important things. And the first one is this, the inevitability of our discipleship. The inevitability of our discipleship. Now, what I mean by this is we are disciple-making disciples. Whether you and I are intentional about it or not, whether you and I see ourselves as disciple-makers or not, you are making them. The question we need to ask is who are you following? And who is following you? How are you influencing the people who are watching you? It's a good way of asking this. Um, Michael Segal um, says it like this. Every one of us, young or old, American, African, or Asian, believer or unbeliever, is engaged in some form of discipleship. Every one of us follows someone. And every one of us carries significant influence over someone else. So true. Um, let me add to this a little bit. This comes from this book, which I have an extra copy, and I don't want to come home with it, so I'd love to give this away. Just find, it, find me. I'll have it with me. Um, but this is by Mark Dever on, on discipling. It says, to be human is to be a disciple. And listen to what he says. He says, God did not present Adam and Eve with a choice between discipleship and independence, but between following him and following Satan. We are all disciples. The only question is of whom? No, that's just good. Uh, listen, we are all disciples. We are all discipling we are all disciples. We are all disciple makers. It is inevitable. It is what it means to be human in relationship with other humans. Like Jacob, you might not walk around asking yourself, you know, how can I disciple right now? How can I, who can I disciple right now? But it does not mean that you aren't discipling. Because discipleship is inevitable, and because that is true, we must strive to make it intentional. Let's talk about that a little bit more. Um, we talked about the inevitability of our discipleship. Now let's shift a little bit, and let's talk about the aim of our discipleship. The aim of our discipleship. Paul says this beautifully and simply. He says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. That's 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Be imitators of me 
as I am of Christ. The aim of our discipleship is Christ, to make much of Christ, to point people to Christ, and to make disciples of Christ so that when people see you, they are seeing Jesus. When people imitate you, they are imitating Jesus. Our discipleship as followers of Jesus has an aim. It's to grow in our Christ-likeness so that those around us who are influenced by us, who see us, who imitate us, will grow in theirs. That is discipleship. Follow me as I follow Jesus. Imitate me as I imitate Jesus. And I want to talk about this a little bit more because I think this is one of the things that we as the church have missed horribly. Horribly. Because I believe that so many times we make discipleship too formal, too elite, and too heady. What I mean by this when I say formal is I think that some of us think that if it's not like a sanctioned church program, eh, it's not discipleship. If I ask you, do you see yourself as a disciple maker, and you say, yeah, I'm teaching a Bible study, I mean, that's great. We love Bible studies. We, we, we love and praise God for that. But that is not, listen to me, that is not where the bulk of Christian discipleship happens. It is not. It cannot be. It takes place in our office break rooms over dinner plates and car rides when shopping at Target or wherever you do your shopping, in your kitchen. These are the arenas. These are the most common arenas of Christian discipleship. We make these things, we try to make these things so formal when discipleship happens where life happens. We imitate Jesus in every arena of our lives so that all of those who see us, interact with us, see Jesus as they look at us. In other words, I don't think Jacob had a formal meeting with Simeon and Levi each Tuesday at 5 a.m., where he talked about um, teaching them his deceptive ways. You know, son, this is how you really trick someone. This is, this is how you really get them good. I don't think this was a formal discipleship process that we just saw the fruit of. I think they picked this up naturally. That's disciple-making. And what's true here in the negative is also true here in the positive. We don't have to be so formal. We don't have to be so formal. Uh, And because often we're so formal, it leads me to the second one, we're often, we make discipleships too elite. In other words, we start to believe that only, the only true disciple makers are the professionals. The, The ones who... Uh, the elite Christians, the professional disciple-making pastors. In fact, I, I would guess that when many of us think about who has discipled us, we often think about a pastor or a ministry leader. That's who comes to our mind, which is great, which is great. But hear me, that it is not only the pastors and the staff who disciple who God can use to disciple. Uh, Jesus said, go therefore, make disciples. That command was to you. In other words, whether or not you see yourself as a disciple maker, Jesus sees you as a disciple maker. 
You do not need a seminary degree to tell someone about Jesus. You do not need credentials to tell someone about Jesus. It does not need to be your full-time, part-time, volunteer job to tell someone about Jesus. You, all you need to tell someone about Jesus is Jesus. You need to be able to say, imitate me as I imitate Jesus. We often make this far too formal, far too elite, and because of that, we often, oh my goodness, we make this far too heady. I mean, this is crazy if we think about what we do to discipleship these days. I mean, we, we believe the lie that we need to have all the answers before we're intentional about making disciples. Like, we need to know what the problem of evil, the answer is, or have an answer for transubstantiation or consubstantiation or even know what those things are. We need to know those, right? You need to know them. And we believe this, this, this lie that we, we need to know the answer to every question when we know that that is not what true discipleship has been in our lives. And what I mean by this is, is true discipleship rarely does it linger in just the head, in just the head knowledge. If you think about the, the men and women who have discipled you, chances are it's, it's not just the guy who does like an info drop on you on all things theology and scripture. Chances are it's the one you saw Jesus through, lived out in front of you. Notice, okay, I, I think about it like this. Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples. You remember that, the command, and then he says, teach them. That sounds heady, right? except if you read on. It says, teach them. Not just like a dump of head knowledge, but he says, teach them to what? To obey and to observe. Right at the beginning, this was about living. It was about doing, not just about knowing. Right at the beginning. Don't hear me wrong. I love studying. I am a nerd, and I love it. And I love, I love studying. I love learning we make discipleship so heady sometimes. And that's not what Jesus has called us to do. The people in our lives who are able to spout off scripture verses like they just read it two seconds ago or the people who can just talk about theology all day, and those people are great. The church needs those people. They're great. Um, but that's not what it looks like to disciple someone. It's for those to say, imitate me as I imitate Jesus. Let me live my life in front of you so that when you look at me, you see Jesus through me. Those are the most influential disciple makers. That, those are the ones, and that's what Jesus has called us to be. We often make discipleship far too formal, far too elite, and far too heady when the aim of our discipleship is simply Jesus, to live our lives with an open invitation that says, imitate me as I imitate Jesus. This means that we follow Jesus openly so that they can see Christ openly through us. It's huge. Um, so you are not or you are a disciple maker. That's why we have to be intentional. Um, oh, one more thing I want to say about this. Um, when I'm talking about being visible with the way you follow Jesus, I don't want you to hear me and think visible as in Facebook posting. 
I feel like you have to say this these days. Um, I do not mean, when I say visible, live out your faith, I do not mean preach at people on Facebook. No one wants that. No one wants it. No one wants it. Um, Church, no one wants it. That's not the visibility I'm talking about. That's, that's not, what I'm talking about is that your kids see Jesus when they see the, love, the way you love your spouse. What I'm talking about is, is your friends seeing Jesus with the way you spend your money and the way you spend your time. I'm talking about your church family seeing Jesus and the way they hear you use your words. That. That is discipleship. And so because discipleship is inevitable, let it be intentional. Because Christ is our aim, let us imitate him for the world to see. And lastly, I want to talk about the most difficult thing about this, the most prominent thing that we will see in our text this morning. The most obvious thing that floats to the surface. We talked about the inevitability of our discipleship, the aim of our discipleship. Now let's talk about the imperfection of our discipleship. If we are honest, um, I'll speak for me. This is one of my biggest fears. That um, I'll just use it in the context of parenting. It's easy to see here. When my kids see me and imitate me, only they see and imitate the bad things. When um, I see myself in them, not in a good way. When uh, I see my sin, my faults, my struggles in them, when, I impact, when my impact on them is like that. Dads, have you ever seen your sin in your kids? It stinks. When you see anger, gluttony, materialism, laziness, slander, whatever it may be. Moms, have you seen it? Imperfect disciples disciple imperfectly. I feel like we need to wrap our minds around this. Some of us may be waiting to disciple because we're not perfect yet, and that's true, you're not. Imperfect disciples disciple imperfectly. And this is not just with your kids. It's in every arena of your life. It's in that imperfection, church, that there is grace and that God's grace is sufficient. And when you're confronted with your imperfections, This is the time we must confess our sins and repent. That we're able to model what that looks like. That we're able to model what it looks like to follow Jesus as imperfect people. Have you ever seen this? Have you ever done this? Let me give you an example of it. Have you ever had a conversation with a friend? And uh, you, you walk away from the conversation and you realize, well, I just gossiped like crazy and slandered and I think I told three lies. And you get in the car on the way home and the Spirit just convicts you and you pray and you're like, Lord, I confess that sin. I repent. How many know that it's not over yet, though? I mean, it's good. You went to the Lord, yes. Don't stop doing that. But it's not over yet because the harder thing happens. The tough thing happens when you pick up that phone and you call them back. You say, listen, in that conversation, I shouldn't have said what I said about Ralph. I shouldn't have said that. It was gossip. 
and I think I lied about that. Um, and I just want to confess my sin, and I'm sorry. Have you ever done that? That is tough. And you know what that is? That is discipleship. You want to know what discipleship looks like? It looks like a dad calling his son over and saying, son, I messed that up. I am sorry. Dad is wrong. That was terrible. I should not have done that. Will you forgive me? That's discipleship. That's modeling what confession looks like. That's the way we disciple when we're imperfect, (laughs) is we're authentic. We're transparent. We don't hide our sin. We bring it out of the dark and into the light and confess it. Jacob, here in our text, he sees his sin in his kids. He had made two disciples, at least. He sees it. Verse 30 says, he he said to Simeon and Levi, uh, you have brought trouble on me by making me stink to the inhabitants of the land. Um, That's true. (laughs) My numbers are few, and if they gather themselves against me, they're going to attack me, and I'm going to be destroyed, both me and my household. Look what you have done to me, son. Look what you have done to us, son. Even in this, they said, well, should they treat our sister like this, right? Even then, they're justifying, defending themselves. But Jacob's son, sons did such a terrible thing. And it's important for us to see this and understand this, that although they may have learned those tricks, the tricks of the trade from their dad, their sin was their own. That's true for us. We're going to be discipling people. And we're going to feel this burden to take their sin on. Their sin is their own. If, um, if you are here and you would say, I, you know, I am a disciple maker, but, but I have influenced people in the wrong way. If you're, if you're here and you say, I relate to Jacob. I have not discipled the way I should. Maybe you're a mom and you're in, or a dad and you just think, man, if I could do it all over again. If you're a friend, you just think, oh, I wish I could go back. Whatever it is, we must acknowledge the grace of God in the imperfection of our discipleship. Imperfect disciples disciple imperfectly. And you will mess this up. I guarantee it. <laughs> you will not disciple perfectly, and when that happens, there is grace and it is sufficient. So confess your sins to God and to each other. Repent of your sins because his grace is enough. So here's what I want to do. I want to end with the question, our question of the morning. Do you see yourself as a disciple maker? Because chances are in your life, someone else does. And the truth is, whether you see it or not, you are. Let us, church, be intentional and embrace our calling to disciple others. That calling is to imitate Jesus, to imitate him while calling others to imitate him and pointing to, proclaiming Christ. 
while all the time knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that you will fail, that you will make mistakes and that you will disciple imperfectly because you are not perfect and in that you know that his grace is enough. Dads, moms, his grace is enough. Friends, leaders, his grace is enough. Coaches, teachers, his grace is enough. God desires to use you. Do you see yourself as a disciple maker? Because you're likely, in your life, there are people who do. And as a follower of Jesus, Jesus sees you as a disciple maker. That's who he sees us as. So I want us to pray this morning, end in prayer this morning, asking each and every one of us, just asking that the Lord would use us to make disciples of Christ for his glory. Would you pray with me? Lord, as we come, have come to this text, it is, it is a cautionary tale. It is, a, it is when discipleship, when we see it going in a way that we don't want to see it go in our lives. We look at Jacob and we look at his sons and we, we, we're confronted with our imperfection and our sin. But your word tells us that when we are confronted with our imperfections and sin, that we are also simultaneously as children of God confronted by your grace. And right now I just pray that wherever we are, whoever we are, that we would begin to see ourselves the way that you see us as disciple makers, as disciples who are making disciples. Would you help us to see ourselves the way you see us? Lord, I pray for those in the room who have never once considered themselves a disciple maker, and I pray that today is the day that you begin to change that in their heart and their mind, and that right now in this moment that you begin to show through your power, through your spirit, we are disciple makers. And as we consider that, Lord, would you help us to redeem every moment? Would you help us to be intentional with every moment and every opportunity that we have with those around us who are in our influence? Let us be a disciple-making people. Lord, for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen.